Welcome to Kindling the Hearthfire, a podcast dedicated to bringing together the people of ADF around the same fire. Welcome everyone to another episode of Kindling the Hearthfire. How is everyone doing? Did you have a good Beltane or May Day? I certainly did. Um, we didn't have a Maypole at our Protogove's um, celebration, but the ritual was very moving and powerful. Um, before we begin, um, I have a couple of announcements that I need to make that are concerning the podcast itself. Um, Right now, you can find our podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean, but we're also coming on to um, Patreon, um, which is a website that um, helps artists and um, individuals um, support their creative endeavors by allowing people like yourselves to become patrons or um, supporters monetarily of these particular individuals or their projects. Um, I've set up an account on Patreon. I've also um, released the podcast onto Patreon itself, both episodes that have already come out. And this one actually is going to be coming out on Friday, a day before it actually comes out on Podbean as a special treat for people who are interested in Patreon or find us on Patreon and are wondering what that's all about. Um, I'm also going to be offering a mini kind of podcast as well to um, Patreon subscribers themselves. So um, basically how that works is you basically... Hi, I'm recording. (laughs) I'll edit that out. Um, Basically how Patreon works is you um, are given the ability to support these individuals monetarily um, on, a, on a monthly basis, at least that's how I've set it up, where the minimum for me is basically a dollar a month, um, and you, if you subscribe in that way, you get um, access to certain perks. Um, the first level of perks is Basically, you get access to all of the um, podcasts um, themselves, um, as well as the mini podcasts that I mentioned earlier. Um, the mini podcast is basically going to be me just working through the Dedican path and actually um, talking about um, specific um, parts of it and my spiritual path that I'm working on. So it's going to be about that particular portion of my ADF path. And... Um, it's going to be a little interesting. Um, I've already released one episode of that out there for any subscribers on Patreon if you're interested. So just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Um, I would appreciate in any and all reviews um, wherever the podcast is listed, especially on iTunes, which makes it easier for more people to find us. Um, I also want to mention that the podcast has been rated explicit on iTunes for some reason. So um, look out for that if you want to look us up there. Um, 
on Patreon, I'm in the process of setting up different levels of patronage, each with their own rewards and privilege. Um, I won't go into detail here, but if you want to help support the podcast, check out the page on Patreon to get details. Um, all websites will be listed with links in the show notes as per usual. Now, on to the rest of the podcast. We talked last time about what the Romans and Greeks did for spring equinox, and in the first episode, we discussed what the Celts would do for Imbolc. With ADF being a pan-Indo-European organization, uh, we will be focusing this first part on yet another hearth culture that many people call their own, um, the Norse culture. Now, I want to be explaining that the um, cultures that I am personally referring to as the Norse are the peoples which include the Scandinavia, Sweden, and Iceland. Um, these are the cultures I was able to find the most information on, and I want to make it very clear. There are so many stories of Norse culture and mythos that we as modern pagans do not have. Um, I think Neil Gaiman said it best. It is as if, perhaps, the only tales of the gods and demigods of Greece and Rome that have survived were the deeds of Theseus and Hercules. There is much we don't know, and I am only giving you a brief summary of what I could find easily. If you want more information, check the show notes for websites to get you started in your own research. Before the 10th century, when the current Icelandic calendar was developed, um, the old Icelandic year was based on the lunar cycles, and while it is not in official use anymore, some holidays and annual feasts are still calculated from it. Um, it has 12 months broken down into two groups of six, often termed the winter months and the summer months. A weird thing about this calendar is that the months always start on the same day of the week, rather than on the same date. Hence, Thori began sometime between the 9th and 15th of January on the Julian calendar on a Friday. And Oa started on a Sunday between the 8th and 14th of February. Um, the websites in the show notes include one that has a chart of the months comparing them to the Julian calendar if you need a visual. Um, Harpa, which is mid-April to mid-May, the month that we're in. Um, Harpa is a female name, probably a forgotten goddess. The first day of Harpa was and is celebrated as, some, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this, um, Sumar Dagarin Firsti, um, or the first day of summer in Iceland. Um, Harpa is the name of a vet, female spirit, who introduces the summertime and is possibly related to the concept of the Irish Ostara, um, who is also a forgotten goddess of spring. We know precious little about all the details behind this, but we do know um, that different names for similar concepts and deities, uh, they varied with time and um, location. 
on the first time first day of summer or April 14th on our calendar uh, was a great sacrifice to Odin a um, prayer for victory in battle and fortune on voyages in the coming year apart from that it was a time of celebrating young girls and the female spirits of spring the first day of summer is actually an annual public holiday in Iceland currently. It's held on the first Thursday, April. The first day of summer is an annual public holiday in Iceland held on the first Thursday after the 18th of April. Although the climate in late April cannot be considered to be summer-like, after the long winter, Icelanders still celebrate this first day of summer with parades, sporting events, and organized entertainment held in various places around Iceland. Um, Walpurgis Night, literally Witch's Night, is the English translation of Walpurgis Nacht. And forgive me again if I'm mispronouncing anything. Uh, one of the Dutch names for the night of April 30th. So called because it is the eve of the feast day of St. Walpurga, um, an 8th century abbess. I can see a parallel between this celebration and the one on All Hallows Eve and All Saints Day at Samhain in the fall. Um, both were older holidays incorporated by the Catholic Church to help popularize Christianity. Um, it's interesting and fitting that Samhain and Beltane mirror each other in this way. Um, while the name Walpurgis is taken from the 8th century missionary Saint Walpurga, uh, Valborg, as it is called in Sweden, um, has very little to do with religion. Um, the forms of celebration vary in different parts of the country and between different cities, but celebrations normally include lighting the bonfire, choral singing, and a speech to honor the arrival of the spring season, often held by a local celebrity. Um, in the Middle Ages, the administrative year ended on April 30th, and this was a day of festivity among the merchants and craftsmen of the towns, um, with trick-or-treat, dancing and singing, and celebration and preparation for the forthcoming celebration of spring. Um, Valborg, bonfires were part of the Swedish tradition dating back to the early 18th century. Um, farm animals were led out to graze with bonfires lit to scare away predators. And in southern Sweden, an older tradition was for the younger people to collect greenery and branches from the woods at twilight. These were then used to adorn the houses of the village. Um, the expected reward for this task was um, to be paid in eggs. Okay, well now, that we've gotten a little background of that particular culture. Um, let's move on to the main portion of the podcast and the submissions portion. Hi, this is the Reverend Rob Henderson. Uh, Beltane's always been a special time for me ever since I started practicing paganism. Uh, there's certainly always been something about the spring and finally getting to go outside and visit the river and the forests. It's always been special to me. When I look back at uh, my time with Shining Lakes Grove, I definitely think of the dawn rite that we do at Beltane as being um, one of the most special things that we've done. Uh, back in the early days of the Grove, before I had even joined, 
uh, our then senior Druid Fox was preparing a spring equinox ritual, and uh, he was trying to decide which Irish river goddess to honor at this ritual, and he suddenly had this revelation of why are we looking at Irish river goddesses when there's a river right here that we should be working with here in Ann Arbor. So at 3 a.m. he drove up, using a road atlas, if you're old enough to remember what those are, uh, drove up to the source of the Huron River, as best he could judge it from the atlas. I remember he couldn't Google what the source was, so he had to make his best guess with the map, but he found it correctly. Drove up to it and uh, went there to the side where the boat launch was and made first contact with the uh, river goddess we now know as Anna. And ever since then, we've been working with her and making trips up there to visit and working with her at our spring ritual and many of our other rituals as well as our river mother. Um, we based the Dawn Beltane Rite on an old ritual to Sequana of visiting the river and um, going and making offerings at first light when the sun rose. And so what we have done is uh, get up at like 4 or 5 in the morning, because the sun rises early in May, um, drive up in a caravan to Big Lake, which is the source of the Huron, um, very quietly go to the boat launch. Not that many people tend to be awake that early. There are a few fishermen out there sometimes who give us funny looks when they come by and see a bunch of people standing on the shore singing. But uh, yeah, we used to have Fox take his canoe out, and he would go out into the middle of the lake and make offerings while... Most of us stood on the shore and sang songs to Anna. Um, in later years, we didn't have access to a canoe, so we just threw the offerings as hard as we could into the lake, um, the offerings generally being food or stones. We don't want to put anything into the lake that will harm the animals there. Um, and yeah, and we would uh, then ask for Anna's blessing to collect the water. We would collect the water out of the center of the lake if we had the canoe, or the shoreline if we didn't. Um, and then we would come back up to the little hill in the park by the boat launch and have someone hold the glass bowl of water aloft to meet the first rays of the sun as they came through, or the first bright patch of clouds if it was a very cloudy day, which happens a lot in Michigan. And, uh, yeah, that would be how we'd collect our sacred water for the year. Uh, we haven't been able to do it lately, mainly because I can't convince anyone to get up that early. But uh, we still do some water collection and do a similar ritual, just at a more reasonable hour. But I have to say, going out in, in the early pre-dawn hours and gathering there, as much as I love big, boisterous, high-day rituals, there's something very special about just like gathering together with your grove mates and uh, seeing those first rays of the sun, waiting for those first rays of the sun which always seem to take forever. No matter how many years we do it, we always think it's going to be earlier than it is. It makes me wonder how the ancients felt about it, if they knew exactly when the sun was coming, or if they had to wait with that anticipation as well. Probably so. Yeah, so that is the way in which we collect our blessed water for the year from our river mother. And that is what uh, Beltane means to me. Beltane is my favorite holiday. As the start of summer, this day is full of hope and optimism. I know that the days will grow long and sunny and cheerful and warm. In my view, the wheel of the year parallels the days of our lives. Once was, people could breathe easily once a child had had 
one or two birthdays. A bit like in bulk. By Ostara, you're hitting puberty. Maybe around age 12. Beltane is the hope of youth as we hit our early 20s. In this time of fertility, we might start a family or plant seeds for a new career. We are more empowered than we have ever been in our lives, and before us is a blank slate with everything possible. But why limit the view to our early 20s? It's all metaphor. As I sing around the cauldron or dance around the maypole, each Beltane reminds me of the optimism and hope of youthful beginnings. Do you have any, like, um, particularly in this time of the year, do you have any personal practices that you do? Um, usually on Beltane, like, what I'll try to do is collect as many flowers as I can and cover my altar with that. And then I, like, I get, like, dark side candles, okay. like, for, like, for Judaism, but I, like, wipe off the little label thing because they burn for exactly 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So I try to light it right at sunup on Beltane and then let it burn all the way till sunup the next day. Okay. And beyond that, I usually just say my regular, like, morning prayer. That's pretty much all I really have time for, honestly, all for the holidays. Okay. Um, sometimes, I, if I can, I like to go out to dinner with my friends who aren't pagan, but I sort of just, like, make it pagan. Like, let's just celebrate paganism for just, just a minute. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, well, does um, does Beltane have any special significance to you? Yeah, it was actually when I first started the, the practicing paganism, I had just missed Candle Mass. Mm-hmm. And so Beltane was the first, like, Okay. Because at the time, I was going to try to get together with, like, a couple of my friends from uh, high school. No, we were in middle school at the time. Like, I was going to get together with a couple of my friends from middle school, and we were going to do, like, an equinox ritual for the spring equinox, but we all had Easter. They all had Easter things to do, and I didn't want to do it by myself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because spring equinox tends to be, like, Easter light, I believe it's been called. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so how was your how was your first Beltane um, ritual that you went to? Do you remember that? Oh, it was so cheesy. Honest to goodness, I just like because Beltane, <laughs> at least according to like Wicca, which is what I first got into, um, it's like the holiday of love and connection, connecting to others and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, me and my three girlfriends, we all just like did love spells on like the guys that we had crushes on. <laughs> Sounds like something you might do at Beltane, but still very corny. Yeah, it was very corny. <laughs> <laughs> we actually did it almost every year for like three years, and then we got older. We were like, okay, like, let's not do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no love, but love spells um, this year then? No, I try to avoid that kind of stuff. That was lovely. I definitely enjoyed catching up with Leo and finding out how Beltane is celebrated in Texas, um, a state I've been to exactly once in my life so far. The next segment is our book review. This time we are reviewing The Healing Magic of the Trees by Sherilyn Hidalgo. I'm going to be very blunt um this was an awful book it belongs wholeheartedly in the bin it serves a better purpose as tree food from 
yeah, it serves better purpose of tree food than reading material. And even then, it might still give the trees themselves indigestion. This is likely the least informed book on the Celtic tree calendar that I have ever had the misfortune to read. And that's even considering that the calendar was a 1940s creation by a Robert Graves and not connected in the least to what we actually know about the actual Celts and their version of astrology. The bibliography is seriously lacking. The book has exactly two sources from before the 1970s. And one of those sources is The, um, is the White Goddess by Robert Graves. Um, it tries and fails miserably to combine runes, astrology, astronomy, totems, tarot, and oem into a single cohesive system. In particular, the meanings of the oem, the system to which I am somewhat familiar, um, regularly don't match three other sources that I have in my personal collection, all of which draw from primary sources. Um, Robert Graves is mentioned briefly in all three of these sources, but as a warning of what happens when you do not check your sources or are flagrantly mistranslating what you do not understand. Um, I would not recommend this book to anyone. It is a waste of time, money, and paper. Um, I would recommend these other books if you're actually looking into anything Irish and based in reality. Um, Oam, The Secret Language of the Druids by Reverend Skip Ellison or Ogham, Weaving Word Wisdom by Aaron Rowan Laurie. Um, both of these have expansive bibliographies and are also a great read. Um, all links will be in the show notes. Next up, we have the calendar, which is a brief schedule of the next two months and what festivals are coming up that are either run by ADF itself or that ADF has a presence at. Um, the first one up is um, an ADF-run festival um, called the Wellspring Gathering. It starts on um, the 25th of May and ends on the 29th of May. And it is held at the Tridara um, Retreat Center in Madison, Ohio. And you can find details and you have the ability to register on their website, which is um, stonecreed.org slash wellspring.php. That's the um, link directly to the site that concerns Wellspring. But you can also just find it on... Um, their link on their website, which is stonecreed.org. Um, and once again, all um, websites will be in the show notes. Um, the next one that comes up is the Three Rivers Festival. And this one happens to be in Ontario, Canada. Um, it is an ADF-run festival. 
and it runs from the 8th of June to the 11th of June. It is held in Ravens Knoll um, up in, once again, Ontario. And um, you can find um, details for this, um, this festival at their um, website, which is threeriversfestival.wordpress.com. All right, wrapping up, I would like first to thank you all for your submissions. I would especially like to again thank Bonnie Landry, um, you, who you heard in the intro with Fire Burn Bright. Um, we're getting ready to put the Midsummer podcast together here at Kindling the Hearth Fire. And if you have any ideas, celebrations, poems, songs, invocations, or anything else you'd like to hear included in the podcast, please send your submissions to kindlingtheheartfire at gmail.com. I would also love to see pictures of your Midsummer celebrations. Either post them to the Facebook group or um, post them on Instagram with the hashtag KTHMidsummer. Deadline for submissions for the next podcast is Friday, June 9th. And um, tune in Saturday, um, June 17th for another episode of Kindling the Hearth Fire, where we will be talking about Midsummer. You can find our podcasts on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, and on Patreon. Be well, and may you always continue to pray with a good fire.